You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. Hope you had a great holiday. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. So this will be the last show uh, for 2018, but uh, it's also going to be the last Fantasy Baseball Hour that I am doing, period. Uh, this is it. This is the the, uh, the end of the road for me uh, for uh, the Fantasy Baseball Hour. So... Uh, I've got a lot of uh, things uh, that I'm excited about for 2019. I have a couple of new things lined up. Uh, They're going to make it very difficult for me to continue doing this show. So uh, that is why this is going to be the last one for me. So uh, anyways, I just want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, I'll be talking more about this at at the end of the show. But there is a lot to get to. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, it's the, the hot stove is not really cooled off uh, even during the holidays. So I'm just going to uh, get right to it. And we had a couple of big deals uh, since the last show. First of all, we had the blockbuster between the Reds and the Dodgers. Uh, so Yasiel Puig, Matt Kemp, Alex Wood, and Kyle Farmer all heading to Cincinnati. Going the other way to L.A., uh, Homer Bailey, Josiah Gray, uh, a right-handed, uh, uh, right-handed pitching prospect, and uh, Jeter Downs, uh, second base prospect, respectively. Uh, Downs and number was the number eight prospect in the red system according to uh, Fangraphs, and Gray number thirteen in the red system. So those two prospects going to LA. Homer Bailey already cut loose by the Dodgers, uh, so that was a foregone conclusion. Uh, if he hadn't been dealt. The Reds most likely would have let Homer Bailey go. So uh, this provides a little bit of luxury tax relief for uh, the Dodgers and uh, clears uh, some log jams uh, that they had as well in the outfield and in the rotation, although they're still, uh, well, first of all, in the rotation, not even clear exactly uh, where there's going to be room for everybody that's still there. Uh, Kenta Maeda has been, I've seen a couple different places projected as the number five starter, but that would block Ross Stripling and Julio Urias. So, uh, it's probably going to be barring other moves, sort of the status quo for the Dodgers rotation that you're going to have, you know, first of all, you have some players that are, that are injury prone players that will probably jockey back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen. And in the case of uh, Stripling and Urias, uh, between the uh, pitching staff, whatever role it is, and perhaps AAA. So uh, it's actually a a great term for this. Uh, Nick Pollock, who's been a a guest of the show several times, you know him from Pitcher List and Rotographs. Uh, Nick has a great term for this, Dodgeritis. So uh, the the pitchers uh, towards the back end, potentially, of that rotation, I think could still uh, suffer from some some Dodgeritis. On the other hand, Alex Wood might have found his cure going to Cincinnati. He would seem to be health permitting a fixture in that Reds rotation, which now looks uh, a bit more solid than it did going into the offseason. Uh, so you still, you've got Luis Castillo there 
uh, and Anthony Desclafani, who's not been able to stay healthy, but you've got those two pitchers. And then in addition, you've got Tanner Roark, who was recently uh, acquired from the Nationals, and now Alex Wood. So that's your projected front four, not necessarily in that order, in Cincinnati. And then maybe a little bit of a fifth starter backlog as well. Tyler Maley and Cody Reed, I would think, would be the, the lead contenders for that final spot. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've got uh, certainly a more solid front four there and much more depth. And um, in terms of the uh, the hitters going to uh, Cincinnati, of course, Puig is going to be the, the one who's clearly going to be an everyday player for them. Not clear what the Reds are going to do in terms of filling the gap defensively left by Billy Hamilton. Uh, Puig maybe part of that center field pic- uh, picture. Maybe it's Scott Shebler who has played some center field. Uh, maybe Nick Senzel, perhaps. Uh, so that one is very much still up in the air. But whether it's uh, whatever position in the outfield it is, uh, would expect that Puig would be pretty much an everyday player for the Reds. Matt Kemp, that role not as clear uh, as has been the case for him the last couple of seasons. So uh, I know a lot of people are worried about Jesse Winker and how much playing time he would get. It, to me, it would seem to be an upset if Winker were benched to make room for Kemp. But time will tell with that. And then Kyle Farmer, he will, uh, I would think it best, uh, be a backup to Tucker Barnhart. Probably he'll be jockeying back and forth between the minors and the majors. So uh, that's pretty much the uh, the picture there in terms of the impact uh, for the Reds. And now going back to the Dodgers, talked about their rotation, but their outfield situation, of course, you know they, they mixed and matched all year. And you have players like Cody Bellinger, Chris Taylor, who could play the infield and the outfield. Uh, I would think that they both probably, barring other moves, would see some time in center field. But the big, I think I haven't, I've yet to even get to maybe the biggest impact uh, of this trade, which is that it very firmly does put the Dodgers in the Bryce Harper picture. And we haven't, uh, of course, heard anything definitive there yet, but uh, that would seem to be part of the motivation for the Dodgers to make this deal. And they certainly now have a, a spot where they could play Bryce Harper uh, as of right now uh, you probably would have an outfield of Jack Peterson and maybe uh, a tandem of Bellinger and Taylor in center and Alex Verdugo uh, I think Verdugo is probably the one who's most on the bubble here if they were to go for Harper or make some sort of move but uh, that's gonna be an interesting situation so that was one big trade that happened in in the uh in the past week. The other one, not quite the same magnitude, although it did involve a lot of players, a three team deal between the A's Rays and Rangers with the uh, biggest name being uh jerks and Profar going from the Rangers to the A's. So they have filled the Jed Lowry sized hole in their infield. Uh, Profar would project to be the A's uh, second baseman. Uh, the Rays got uh, Emilio Pagan, reliever uh, from the A's uh, and also uh, going back uh, a year past that uh, with the Mariners uh, could be a very uh, effective bullpen piece for the Rays. Also got Raleigh Lacey and a 2019 competitive balance draft pick. Uh, for their part, the Rangers picking up some prospects in this deal. Uh, lefties Kyle Bird and Brock Burke, uh, righty Yoel Espinal and uh, infielder Eli White. 
and uh, they get uh, an international they get international slot compensation uh, as a part of this deal. But again, the the big major league name on the move here is Jerks Profar. So uh, that uh, pretty much solves uh, the, the the situation there in the the infield, the one gap that they uh, had to fill there. Um, I don't think there's a, a big impact here. I think if Profar had stayed in Texas, that uh, he would have played regularly after his breakout 2018 season. I I think uh, he certainly got a downgrade in terms of park factor for his home park, but an upgrade in terms of the hitters uh, that are going to be surrounding him. So I don't really see it as, as much other than a lateral move uh, for Profar. But I think that there could be a bit of an uptick for him in 2019 just because the skills really improved more, I think, even than the stats showed. And despite the fact that, yeah, he had a, a 20 homer season, 10 stolen bases, but I think that he could have done a little bit better on balls in play. So that batting average could uh, be quite a bit better than, than where it was uh, this past season in the 250s. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe a, another year of development to uh, to tack on to what he did in 2018. So while the move itself, I feel like, is overall a lateral one, I think that the performance level of Profar in 2018, I wouldn't call it the floor, but I like his chances of improving on that more so than his chances of, of regressing. Now, the A's made some other moves. They've been busy. They re-signed Mike Fires. Uh, on a two-year deal worth $14.1 million, that amount coming from uh, Jane McCall, Janie McCauley excuse me, of the Associated Press, uh, although the, the deal was announced several days ago, but those figures just came out, uh, I think, within the last 24 hours or so. And Fires had a, a, a good bounce-back season, a 3.56 ERA. He did have an 84% strand rate, so that makes him look like a candidate for regression. And we've got some other... Mixed messages as well from Fire's stat line in 2018. Just the latter portion of the year that he spent with Oakland, he had a nice surge in his strikeout rate, really the, the highest that he's had in quite a while, a 24.5% strikeout rate. Uh, and also, uh, he has not spent much of his career, if any, averaging 90 miles an hour or more on his fastball. In fact, his annual averages have all been below 90 but during his time in Oakland, he averaged 90.3 miles an hour uh, in terms of average velocity on his fastball. So that spike in strikeouts was backed up by a little extra, little extra velo. Uh, so as of right now, Fires would be the ace of that ace staff. Of course, uh, you know it was a great story in 2018 uh, in terms of uh, the A's being far, far better than uh, I think just about anybody expected. But they've got a lot of questions, uh, a lot of question marks in that rotation. So Fires is one piece. Uh, an interesting bit of reporting that's come out alongside uh, this this Fires resigning, uh, and I've seen this pop up in a couple different places. That Jesus Lazardo is expected to be in the rotation at some point in 2019, not necessarily uh, off of uh, coming out of spring training for for opening day, but not completely ruled out either. And it, it, he could be joining uh, early, even if he isn't with the team at the very, very outset of the regular season. So that's pretty exciting. But uh, even if you got, you do have fires, and even if you have Luzardo at some point uh, early on, still a lot of question marks there with that uh, 
A's rotation. However, the bullpen, which was a real strength in 2018, got even a little bit better with the signing of Joaquim Soria on a two-year deal, actually a little bigger of a deal than Fires got, a two-year deal worth $15 million. And uh, Surya had a, a very nice 2018 season, mostly with the White Sox, uh, then went uh, from the White Sox to the Brewers. Once with the Brewers, then he uh, didn't get to sniff the ninth inning with the, the bullpen depth that they have. But with the White Sox, he saved 16 games, had a really nice bounce back season. His uh, swinging strike rate of 14.4% was a career high for Joaquim Soria. Uh, however, the, the strikeout rate, which was still very good, maybe not commensurate with a whiff rate that that was that high, uh, a near elite whiff rate, uh, because he also set a career high for swing rate on pitches in the zone, which meant that he got fewer called strikes. So uh, all said, I mean, maybe he regresses a bit in the whiff rate. Maybe he gets a few more called strikes. I mean, this is still somebody who, uh, while he almost certainly is not going to get very many save chances, uh, that uh, he could be one of the more valuable uh, non-closers among relievers uh, because he will give you a good strikeout rate, if not quite elite, and just should be effective all around. Maybe get the occasional Safe chance here and there uh, would be a very, very good uh, player to own for holds leagues. And got a bunch more signings and moves here. Uh, this is certainly not one of the bigger ones, but I'm going to slot it in here because there's a bit of an A's connection with this. And that is that the Cubs have signed former A, Kendall Graveman, uh, to a one-year deal that is initially worth $575,000. But should Graveman make an appearance uh, this season, again, he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery, uh, then that contract would escalate up to, to $2 million for 2019. And also it includes a team option for 2020. So the Cubs banking on Graveman uh, not taking too long for his recovery and being effective, if not this season, then maybe being somebody who can help them out in 2020. But we will not see Kendall Graveman this year any time prior to most likely July, probably after the All-Star break. And that would still be a best-case scenario. So not that even at his best and at his, his healthy peak, that Kendall Graveman was somebody that uh, fantasy owners were, were knocking each other over for to, uh, to roster. But, uh, you know, somebody who could be in the Cubs picture uh, in, the, in the second half. Uh, Anibal Sanchez has a new home. He has agreed on a two-year, $13 million deal with the Nationals. So just when, uh, you know, the Nationals uh, with, with uh, Patrick Corbin that you thought that, uh, you know, they had already done some good work this offseason, uh, then they go out and they get Anibal Sanchez, who had, uh, I know I've said already several times uh, in this, uh, this program, but yeah, a, a really great bounce-back season, great comeback season in uh, 2018. So uh, Sanchez will slop behind Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, and Steven Strasburg. Uh, I mean, that's that's insane quality there for the front four for uh, the Nationals. And of course, that, that would bank on Sanchez being healthy this year and coming close to replicating what he did last year. He had a 2.83 ERA. He had a 24.4% strikeout rate with the Braves. And key to his success is it's been analyzed and commented on in many, many places is the, I wouldn't say introduction of a cutter, but uh, using it more than just sort of nominally, which he had the, the previous couple of years, uh, became a major part of his arsenal this year. 
And he achieved, according to Fangraphs, the fourth highest pitch value on his cutter of any pitcher in the major leagues this past season. So that was an absolute key to his success. He was one of the very best pitchers in terms of limiting uh, hard contact and inducing soft contact. So it was not only that Sanchez was able to strike batters out, but the contact that he did allow was a very poor quality. So it was really a just a, a very good overall season for Anibal Sanchez, and now he is a Washington National. Uh, a former National, Daniel Murphy, uh, he signed on with the Colorado Rockies, two-year deal worth $24 million with the mutual option for the 2021 season. And you know, it was a season that uh, was definitely not uh, uh, one of his best years in, in recent memory uh, for Murphy. Not terrible. Uh, he played 91 games with the Nationals and with the Cubs. Batted 299. So he's been consistently somebody that who could hit uh, hit for average. He continued to do that, continued to make a lot of contact. Hit 12 home runs, which, again, that doesn't look too out of line with the recent power surge in his career as he's gotten more launch angle-oriented. Uh, but Murphy, before he was a home run hitter, was always a pretty good doubles hitter. He only hit 15 doubles in those 91 games this year between the Nats and the Cubs. Uh, And behind that, behind that lower isolated power, behind that lower doubles rate was a 26% hard contact rate. That's really poor. I mean, it's just flat. I'm not going to miss words. That's really poor. Uh, And especially when you consider that this year, that across the board, hard contact rates went up four or five percentage points. I mean, not literally across the board, of course, but just overall. Um, and there's been lots of writing and theorizing about that, which I'm not going to dig into here. But, uh, you know, basically whether the bar was raised uh, in terms of the amount of hard contact that was made, Murphy took a huge step back in that regard. And it showed up in his doubles rate and his ISO. And a little bit in the batting average, too. Uh, doesn't strike out much, but Murphy's BABIP in 2018 where it was verging on normal and this is a guy that with line drive tendencies uh and hitting the ball pretty hard it's usually somebody who's pretty good uh and, and well above average on on balls in play so obviously going to course field could correct that all by itself uh that is obviously a notoriously great place to hit and not just for home runs but for getting base hits on balls in play but a lot of Questions here for Daniel Murphy, uh, whether he can stay healthy, whether he is now firmly in a decline phase of his career, whether he can bounce back, play more, accumulate more uh, plate appearances, uh, compile more stats, and maybe improve and, and rebound a bit in terms of his power production. We certainly would like to see that trend from Domingo Santana. He has a new home. The Brewers traded Santana to the Brewer, I'm sorry, to the Mariners. Brewers traded Santana to the Mariners for Ben Gamble and right-handed relief prospect Noah Zavolas. And uh, Santana certainly an upgrade for him, where he spent the whole season either in the minors or on the major league roster, really scrapping for playing time. And his production did not merit him getting more playing time than what he got. So after a, a breakout season in 2017, a very, very disappointing season for Santana in 2018, and one that was really foreshadowed by the signings of Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain. But those of us, you know, like myself, who drafted him this past year, figured somehow, some way, the talent would win out. 
that those power skills were going to earn him playing time, whether it was taking away from Ryan Braun or uh, getting traded. Uh, none of that, uh, you know, none of that transpired during the season. So now he does get a fresh start with the Mariners, where unless he really fails to rebound at all, uh, Santana should get plenty of playing time, or unless he gets flipped, which I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Gamble uh, probably becomes like a fourth outfielder for uh, for the Brewers, uh, so not a whole lot of fantasy value there. On the last show, I talked about the Angels signing uh, Matt Harvey. They have continued the rotation makeover uh, this past week. They signed Trevor Cahill for one season at uh, $9 million. So Cahill, uh, lots of injury problems over the years, but the last few years when he's been healthy, he's been really good. Uh, so that could be a big, big add uh, for the Angels. Uh, the couple of uh, bullpen moves here. Uh, the Cardinals signed Andrew Miller. This one had been sort of rumored for a while. The Cardinals have been interested in Miller, interested in Zach Britton. So that was kind of hanging out there for a while. They finally did sign uh, Miller for two years at $25 million, plus a 2021 vesting option. And the initial reports on this deal are that Miller uh, is going to be used in high leverage situations. So basically the same vague amorphous language that had been used for Miller when he was with the with the Indians. Uh, the difference here being that I think, first of all, given the amount of the contract and given who is in that Cardinals bullpen, I think that if we can analogize maybe with the, the Indian situation where he just came from, where he stepped in for Cody Allen at times or, you know, uh, late in the season uh, after the acquisition of Brad Hand. You sort of had a, a three-headed uh, late-ending monster there. Uh, but but Miller really firmly in sort of the, the tertiary position with the Indians. Uh, I think that he may stand a chance to get the bulk of the saves with the Cardinals. And it really remains to be seen, of course, how that's actually going to play out. But in a way... I think this is probably better news for Jordan Hicks. And I'm just totally speculating here, but just my perception of it is this is actually a better sort of forecast for Jordan Hicks than if they uh, the Cardinals had signed Zach Britton, where Britton has not, I mean, he's been hurt a lot the last couple of years, but when he's been healthy, he's been the guy in Baltimore. He's not been one to sort of get yo-yoed back and forth. Now, of course, that status changed during the brief time that he was with the Yankees. But with Miller being used in, in different types of situations and different types of roles, and with the early quotes coming out of the Cardinals organization, sort of indicating, again, in a very sort of vague way, that it's going to be status quo for Andrew Miller, that maybe he and, and Jordan Hicks form some kind of like closer tandem. So maybe we'll learn more between now and spring training or during spring training or at some point before draft day. But uh, I think Jordan Hicks still holds on to a little little bit of value here. The Dodgers added some much, much needed bullpen depth by signing Joe Kelly to a three-year deal worth $21 million. Uh, that also includes a team option for the 2022 season. Kelly, a very up-and-down 2018 season with the Red Sox. Uh, so it's certainly it, it's an upgrade for the Dodgers bullpen. And yet, if you were thinking of the Dodgers needing to add somebody who could really be reliable in the seventh or eighth inning, I'm not confident that Joe Kelly is necessarily that guy. But he does add some, not only some depth, but but some insurance for Kenley Jansen. And 
uh, you know, maybe it can be a better season. And it wasn't an all-around terrible season for Kelly, and he finished very strong. But uh, the consistency wasn't really there. So it's he's certainly no slam dunk for value, even in holds leagues, uh, as it stands coming off of uh, 2018. And a little bit of a blow for bullpen depth for the Astros. Joe Smith underwent surgery for a ruptured Achilles. He's now going to be out for six to eight months. So he's going to miss a large, large portion of the 2019 season. Smith wasn't really looking necessarily to have a whole lot of value. But I do see that that Astros situation, based on the way that A.J. Hinch has managed it and by the the, the, the different options that they have there, that I could see that, that one being a bit fluid in 2019. And... Smith maybe being a part of, uh, of the ninth inning mix uh, theoretically had this not happened, but it did happen. He's going to miss the bulk of the season. Uh, so that's, that's a tough blow uh, for the Astros. The Brewers have signed Corey Spangenberg to a one-year deal. It's a split contract. So uh, he will get $1.2 million, but only if he makes the major league roster. As it stands right now, and obviously there's a lot of offseason left, there's a lot of hot stove action that, that could still happen. I do see that the Brewers uh, would be you know, candidates to make a few more moves. But as it stands, I mean, Spangenberg would be kind of a, an appropriate uh, player to be a, as a, a stopgap at second base uh, because I don't think that uh, Keston Hira is probably that far off for being major league ready. And uh, I was reading a report on MLB.com that said that basically the Brewers' strategy here, their intention is to get a stopgap option uh, and not to go out and spend big to fill second base. And uh, Spangenberg is really, it's a, he's a good fit there because he could fill that, uh, that void at second base or be a part of a solution maybe with Hernan Perez until uh, Hira is ready. And then... Uh, if Hira is, is ready at some point this season, Spangenberg's versatile enough that you can play a little bit at third, can play in the outfield. So, uh, you know, you, you've had that kind of Swiss Army knife type player there, you know, like, uh, you know, like an Aaron Perez. And, uh, you know, you saw the shifting around uh, in terms of positions that the Brewers did last year um, with Travis Shaw playing second base, just as an example. So Spangenberg f- fits that picture really nicely. And didn't have a very good 2018 season, but there is some uh, potential there, especially if, if playing time comes along, and especially with him being in a much, much better hitting environment, that maybe he could produce uh, around 15 home runs, be in double digits in steals. Uh, he does strike out a lot, but he struck out a lot, particularly in 2018. So if he can get back to where he was 2016, 2017, uh, you know, maybe there's like 15, 15 potential there for, for Corey Spangenberg. And of course that could all just go down the drain if the Brewers go out and sign somebody else to play second base, but it's, it's a kind of intriguing situation. And then finally, last note that I have here, CC Sabathia had angioplasty and excuse me, angioplasty uh, earlier this month. However, he is expected to be ready for spring training, according to a report from the athletics, uh, Ken Rosenthal. So uh, on all, uh, you know, a good outlook there for Sabathia who, uh, you know, happened to catch a, a blockage and uh, had the uh, had the necessary procedure done and uh, shouldn't miss any time. So good news uh, on the whole there for uh, for CC Sabathia. So uh, 
on that final note of this final show of 2018, and again, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, uh, this is my last Fantasy Baseball Hour. Uh, so uh, I just want to thank everybody who has listened, whether this is your first time or whether you've been listening since uh, the show started just under two years ago. And it's hard for me to believe that uh, it's been two years uh, already. It's it's flown by. Um, so first of all, I just want to thank all of you who have who have listened. Uh, and have downloaded or listened live on, on uh, FNTSY. Uh, I, I really, I, I have been so happy and, and, and pleasantly surprised by uh, how many people have, have tuned into the show, uh, which again, it's it's not really been around that long. Uh, so thank you to, to all of you uh, who, who have listened to the show. Uh, also a special thanks to uh, Mike Cardano, who just made this happen. Um, so, uh, I appreciate the opportunity, Mike. Um, I, at this point, a little under two years ago, I had recently left CBS, uh, sports.com, uh, where I'd been a part of the team on the fantasy baseball today podcast. And it was a great group of folks to, to get my feet wet with. Um, and granted, I wound up doing it again, wound up getting my feet more than, than wet or, or more than just my feet. Uh, I'm, I'm really botching the, uh, the analogy here, but, uh, uh, you know, I wound up, uh, doing that, that podcast for, for more than six years, but, um, Mike, uh, Cardano gave me the opportunity to, uh, strike out on my own here with my own show, which was something I really wanted to try. And I appreciate that opportunity. And this also, the show wouldn't have happened without, uh, Nando DeFino, uh, and not just because, uh, he was featured here on the show on Nando Thursdays for, for a long time. Uh, but he was really instrumental in, in just helping to make this show even happen, um, I want to thank my producer, uh, young Luciano, who's been fantastic. And I, there have been a, a few people who have produced the show. Uh, Young's done, done a great job. And I also want to give a shout-out to Mike Florio, uh, one of the former uh, producers who occasionally popped onto the show and uh, uh, gave me some great – provides some great analysis uh, on the show. And um, uh, also uh, to Matt Modica, uh, who was a, a regular on the show. Uh, for for uh, much of the show's run, and uh, I, I certainly don't want to. I could be here all day long rattling off the names of of guests, uh, several of whom were on regularly, and and the show evolved because when the show started, it was uh, the the fan rag fantasy baseball show, and so I had regularly had people on uh, like Greg Jewett and, and Jim Finch and, and Jessica Kleinschmidt. Uh, who were writers for FanRag. John Heyman would periodically make appearances. Uh, uh, it was uh, all a, a, a group from FanRag Sports. And then since then, um, you know, I've had uh, just a, a dream roster of guests who have come on, whether it's been one time or, or multiple times. Uh, and I thank everyone who has taken the time to be on the show and, uh, and, and make it what it's been. And uh, I, I, if you had told me two years ago and give me a roster of the people who have taken the time to be on this show, uh, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it. So it's in many ways doing the show has been a dream come true. So uh, with that said, thank you again to those of you who have uh, who have listened for uh, all these months or two years even. Uh, so uh, I look forward to telling you on Twitter what my plans are for 2019. Can't say quite yet. But do check it out at Al Melchior BB on Twitter. I'll be keeping you posted there. In the meantime, Happy New Year, everybody. Best wishes to you, and good luck in the coming season. Take care, everyone.